before we get started, I want to uh, thank these guys and, um, and Jerry. Uh, uh, they just have a great spirit. They lead us in incredible ways. We're grateful for that. Last week, uh, um, I don't know what happened. Usually we work on kind of like transitions, how they work. Last week, I just decided to come up in the middle of the offering where I had no business being up here for like 30 more seconds. And I didn't know what to do at that point because it's like there's, you know, 300 people here and you're kind of going, okay, I don't know what to do. I can't sing. Y'all definitely don't want me singing. <laughs> and, and I look at Jerry and Jerry's just like, he just has this great smile. And I'm like, see, it makes me feel comfortable being here. Even though I know in his head he's going, why are you standing here? Why are you here right now? So thank you very much for your graciousness and how you lead us. You guys are awesome. You guys are awesome. Y'all are awesome. Well, this morning we are going to continue on with our uh, teaching series that we began last week. It's entitled Love Is. And as we said last Sunday, this is an entire series that's going to be based on one chapter of the Bible from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And even if you don't go to church very often, chances are that this passage of Scripture is going to sound very familiar to you because we often hear it read specifically at weddings. Okay? And as we said last week, I think if the Apostle Paul were with us today, I think he would hear that and hear that we read this passage at weddings and he would be like, okay, yeah, it works for marriages. Um, but it works for friendships just as much. It works for how parents are to think about children. It works for children and how you're to think about parents. It works just as much for how to think about your neighbors who live around you. It works just as much for the people you work with. I don't know why you just limit it to weddings and think that I wrote it for that because I didn't. But, um, and, and we want to kind of expand it from that. We want to talk about how it is that you and I at our core, according to Paul and what we read last week, we are relational beings created for love. Created to receive love and created to love, to love others. And Paul says in verses one through three, he's like, if you don't get that, if you don't see that, if you're not building your life on those patterns, it doesn't matter what you have, it doesn't matter what you do, it doesn't matter how much money you have, it doesn't matter what's on your resume, it doesn't matter where you went to school, it does not matter because you will always be hungry for more. We were created for love. And that is true if you're married. It's true if you're single. It's true if you're divorced. It's true if you're a widower. It's true if you're a widow. It's true if you're an extrovert. It's true if you're an introvert. It's true if you're 18. It's true if you're 80. It doesn't stop. This is for all of us. This is what we're here for. It's that critical. It's that important. So we're going to read this passage of Scripture. We're actually going to read today the first eight verses because even though we're only going to be focusing on verse 4 today, it's just too beautiful of a passage of Scripture to divide into little parts over the week. So we're going to read the first eight verses. It's going to come up here on the screen. And I invite you to just listen, read along with God's word to us today about love. This is what Paul writes. He says, If I speak in the tongues of mortals and of angels, but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give away all my possessions and if I hand, them over, my, and, and if I hand over my body so that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. 
Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Lord, no matter who we are or how we walk in here, we pray that this morning you would speak to us through the power of your spirit about the love that is called to radiate in our hearts and move out from us into this world. Lead us, guide us all so that we walk out of here different than the way we came in. We pray for this in Christ's name. Amen. So in these eight verses today, last week we focused on verses one through three. Today we're going to talk about verse four. And specifically, we're just going to be talking about the first three words of verse four. In the verses one through three, Paul talks about how important love is. But in verse four, he starts to describe and to, to kind of define what love actually is. And the first three words he writes about of anything he could say, of anything he could write about love, of anything he could express, is he starts with these words, love is patient. Now being totally honest with you, if I were, was asked to define and describe love, I don't know if that'd be the first thing I would say. Like, I'm not saying I disagree with it, I'm not saying it's wrong, I'm just not certain that's the first place I would go. That above anything I could say about love, the first thing is like, hey, if there's nothing else you know about it, know this, love is patient. But it reminds us of what we said last week, which is that love is more than just a feeling. It's more than just an emotion. Sometimes we talk about love, and when we talk about it, and I think the reason it's often read at weddings, this passage, is because love is um, something we think about as like feeling in our heart. It's like, oh, look at this couple. They're in love. What a great passage of Scripture to read because it's what we feel. And being in love is a great feeling. But the word that Paul writes about in love in the original Greek is the word agape. And agape love is not so much about a feeling. He's not saying, do you feel it? Do you feel it? What he's saying is, is that love is a feeling that moves to action. Or as Bob Goff writes, love does. It's a verb. And the specific thing that love does is that love seeks to serve and sacrifice for those around us. That's what love actually is. So it's not talking about here, he's not talking about a feeling, but he's trying to get at what is this action of, what, of love? What does love do? And the first thing he says is love is patient. Now, this morning we're going to talk about this in two ways, okay? The first way that we're going to talk about what the significance of patience and love is when they're combined is number one, we're going to talk about how that can help us get a handle on how it is we are loving one another today. It can be a barometer almost, a, a measuring stick about how it is we're loving. How are you loving other people? How are you serving other people? Secondly, number one is it is a barometer, a measuring stick of how you're doing now. Secondly is how is the idea of patience, how can that help us to have a catalyst for how to improve at love? Because the good news when Paul is saying this, that love is patient, he's not saying, hey, so you're, you either got it or you don't. What he's inferring in this is that you can actually improve at your ability to love. You're not stuck. You're not just kind of, well, it's where you are. How patient are you? Not very. Okay, well, too bad. You're not very loving. Right? He's saying that this can be a way of help us to understand the kind of actions that love is and to be a catalyst to become more loving, which is what he says life is all about. 
Right? So number one, how is it a barometer, a measuring stick for where we are? Secondly, we're going to talk about how is it a catalyst for where we go? Okay? Now first, how is it a barometer for where we are? Well, that's important because if you want to change your life, you first off have to know where you are. You have to have an honest sense of where are you today. And, and if we just talk about love as an emotion, that's kind of one thing to sit there and go, how loving are you? You're like, I don't know. I feel pretty loving. Right? If it's a, just an emotion, that's where it stays. I feel loving. I've got people I love in my life. I've got family. I've got friends that I love in my life. I think they love me. They give me cards at Christmas. That's like a good sign, right? Valentine's Day, we may try to do something. I don't know. But, you know, like, so yeah, I kind of got love. As long as we hold it as just a feeling, then it stays this abstract concept. It changes the moment you start going, okay, how patient are you? You're like, oh, uh, I'd rather just go back to an abstract concept that I just feel. Like, just ask me if I feel it. Because that's better than asking me how patient am I. Because when you start talking about how patient are you, or more importantly, how patient would those around you, if they're being honest, say that you are, is a much more direct question than just do you feel like you're loving people. Love is patient. Now, Last week, I get to work about a week ahead on these sermons as I'm writing them. So last week, this past seven days, I got to kind of think about what I'm going to ask you to think about this coming week. And I got to ask myself that question. How patient do I feel like I am? Because if you ask me, it's like, do you feel like you're loving people? It's like, yeah, I feel like I'm loving people. How patient are you? And then like pay attention to that. And I learned some things about myself. Uh, I learned that, not surprisingly, I am kind of a mixed bag when it comes to the idea of am I patient. There were moments this week where I actually surprised myself with how patient I was. And I mean that seriously. There were moments where I'm like, wow, I actually would have thought that would have set me off more than it did, and it didn't. And so I feel like I was maybe more patient than I thought. You will have moments this week, if you're paying attention, where you'll kind of go, wow, I actually exhibited some patience there. Thanks be to God. That's a good thing. We should celebrate that. I also had other moments this week where I realized and astounded myself at my ability to have zero patience in my life. And one of the things I noticed about myself, and you might, some of you might relate to this, is that there was a correlation of how close people are to me and how impatient I can be. The closer you get to me, the more instances of my impatience you're going to catch. So the people who are most aware of how impatient I can be, just in little things in the moment, are my wife and my children. They catch it more than anyone else. The closer you get to me, the more you're going to see how impatient I could be. Now, we didn't have any kind of major blow-ups this week. In fact, most of the moments where I realized I'm impatient would be things that five minutes later I would have forgotten about, except you start paying attention to it and going, okay, Paul says this is the most important aspect of love. What am I doing here? How big of a deal is this? As much as I would just like to forget about it and be like, it's not a big deal, let's move on. Example. Six days ago was the final college football game of the season. I don't know if you watched it. Monday night, University of Georgia was playing the University of Alabama in the national championship game. The game was in Atlanta, Georgia, where I am from. Grew up there, uh, lived there for years before moving out here to Austin. And a lot of my friends who live there still and who grew up there 
um, are University of Georgia fans, and they thought that the stars were aligned for a national championship for the dogs. That's what they thought. Alabama was going for, I think, their fifth national title in the last nine years, and even though our associate pastor, Jill Williams, who's an Auburn fan, doesn't like to admit it, that's pretty impressive. And you could even use the word maybe dynasty with kind of how they're doing right now under Nick Saban. And so University of Georgia fans are like, they don't need it. They don't need another title. And for the first time in history, Georgia was playing for their first national championship since 1980. Okay, so many years. And they were like, the stars are aligned because the game's in Atlanta. And it's supposed to be a neutral location. It could be anywhere in the country. It was chosen years ago to sit the game in Atlanta. And it's the first time in college football playoff history that the host state has their home institution there playing in the game. They had no idea what the two schools would be when they chose Atlanta, but University of Georgia, playing for their first national title since 1980, qualified for the game, and was playing in the game. And people were like, it's meant to be. Game's right around the corner. Athens is just an hour away. The crowd was 70% uh, favoring Georgia. They were like, this is going to happen. I even had people in this church who were like, man, you're from Georgia, you must be excited, are you calling for Georgia? And the answer to that question is no. As I have shared before, I am not a fan of the University of Georgia. I grew up as a fan of Georgia Tech. (laughs) Who most people forget about it, but they have a football team too. And they are the in-state rival of the University of Georgia. So asking me, was I excited about Georgia playing for the championship, is like asking a UT fan, how pumped are you for Oklahoma football? It just doesn't happen, right? You don't go there. And so I was watching the game, and Beth and my girls don't really care that much about football, and they were like, are you, who are you pulling for in the game, Alabama or Georgia? You're like, I don't know. I don't like Alabama that much. I definitely don't like Georgia. I said, so I guess I'm calling for Georgia to lose. And they're like, so you calling for Alabama? You're like, not really. I just more don't want Georgia to win. It's like, so are you going to watch the game? Oh, yeah. You got to definitely watch the game to call for Alabama not to win, just Georgia, you want to win less. Which makes total sense in my head. As the game was starting, uh, it was clear that Georgia was well prepared for the game. And for the first three quarters of the game, it looked like they were going to win. It really looked like they were the better team. That's very hard for me to say out loud. But if you watch the game as a Georgia Tech fan, it ended well in that Alabama came back, tied the game, and went to overtime, and Alabama won on the last play of the game. As a Georgia Tech fan, I took a little bit of pleasure in not just Georgia losing, but the way they lost was particularly... (laughs) Actually, it was such a hard ending, I actually didn't feel that great about it, to be honest with you. It was like, that's really tough. But... That's what happened. As the game was getting started, my 11-year-old, Hannah, was there. And Hannah was talking to Beth. And the TV's in the kind of our main room. And Hannah was starting school the next day. This is Monday night. School was starting for us on Tuesday morning. And Hannah was talking about the fact she was starting her final semester of elementary school. She's like, it's weird. Starting my last semester of elementary school, next fall, Hannah will go to middle school. So it's a big kind of change. And as she was talking about it and talking about it and talking about it and talking about it and talking about it, as Hannah can do, as the game was going on, I finally looked at her and I was like, I'm trying to watch the game here. Now, again, nothing blew up. I didn't start yelling. Nobody started yelling. I was like, okay, wow, okay, we'll move on. But here's the thing. If you stop and think about that for a moment, I told my 11-year-old I didn't really care about the game that much. 
but in the middle of it, of a game that I didn't care about that much and had absolutely zero impact on the quality of my life, zero impact at all, I looked at her and told her that it was more important than her talking about school the next day. Love is patient, Paul says. Love is focused on serving the other. Now, when I say that out loud, it's like, that's not what I meant. But that's what happened. And what's even worse is I don't know that Hannah was even surprised by it. What lies at the core of that, of being impatient? Well, what lies at the core of that moment was sitting there and going, I just want to watch the game. This is what I want. This is what I would like. As immature as that sounds, that's what lies at the core of that moment where you're annoyed, is this is just what I would like. I had planned on watching this. I'd like to watch Georgia lose. If y'all could just be quiet so I could enjoy watching this as Jesus wants me to do, <laughs> then it would be great. And think about where you get impatient. Think about the people you get impatient with and how much is self-centeredness at the core of that. You're not responding the way I want you to. You're not saying the thing I want you to say. You're not doing the thing you should do. You're not having the goals that I think you should have. You're not pushing hard enough in the things that I want you to push at. And what lies at the core of all of that is this is what I want. Paul's not asking, do you feel love? He's asking, how patient are you? Because love isn't a feeling, it's not an emotion. It's an action that seeks to serve. And if anything, love is patient. How patient are you? How patient would those around you, if they're being honest, say that you are? What are the things that bother you, set you off in a moment, make you annoyed? Pay attention this week. Use this idea of love is patient as a barometer, a measuring stick for how you are loving others. But secondly and finally, use it as a catalyst. Like we said, love is, you know, how are you loving people? That's an abstract term. If we say we want to grow in this, I just want to become more loving, that's abstract as well, right? That's hard to wrap your head around, like, how do I improve at that? If you sit there and say, how do I become more patient? That starts giving you more of a definite direction of where you go. So here's the question I want you to think about. As a, as a catalyst, how do we become more patient and therefore more loving? How do you become more patient? And the thing that I'd like you to think about this week and be aware of this week is that if we want to use this as a catalyst, patience is not something that we achieve. That's important because this is a room full of people who pretty much all work on the idea that I have a certain way that I improve in my life. And the way that I improve and the way that I change and the way that I always have is I work hard, I set goals, I achieve those goals, I have a degree, I have the right job, this is the way I do things, I perform, this is how I move forward in life. And that works in a lot of different areas. But patience doesn't work that way. You cannot, no matter who you are today, set your mind and saying, this week I'm determined to become more patient and see any headway in that. You will not do it. In fact, you'll move backwards. Because there's an inherent hypocrisy in the idea of saying that the root of impatience is self-centeredness. And the way I'm going to get out of that is I'm going to focus really hard on me. I am going to pay attention to my actions, to my feelings, to my mind. I am going to pay attention and discipline myself to be patient so that I can care more about you. 
It doesn't work. It doesn't work. If you don't believe me, try really hard to be patient this week. Take that away. You will come in here next week discouraged. You probably won't come at all. (laughs) You cannot achieve this. This is not a catalyst you can achieve, but it is something that can be a catalyst if you understand that patience is something that we primarily receive. We receive it, and in receiving it, it rubs off into our DNA over time. As we're exposed to it, it changes us. The thing about how you become more patient is not determining and achieving to become patient. The question is, how patient do people have to be with you? How much patience do you need others to have for you? Starting with God. How patient does God need to be with you? How patient does God need to be with me? That's the question. Last week, my wife walked into our bedroom. I was reading a book, and she came in, and she had this leather-bound notebook in her hand. And she said, do you recognize this? I was like, no, I don't recognize it. And she said, I think it's yours. Uh, I found it in the living room. It was in the shelves in there. I think this is not the kind of thing you just want hanging around. I was like, okay, well, what is it? She handed it to me. It was a diary, a journal that I had kept. Now, some of you maybe keep journals, diaries. This is a way that you kind of have a spiritual discipline, and it works for a lot of people. I have kept journals at certain moments of my life, okay? And this was a journal that I had kept about 10 years ago for quite a long period of time. And in that journal, I had written very honestly about what my hopes are and what I was scared about and what I was insecure about and what I was failing at and what I was excited about. And as I read through this journal from a decade ago, two things struck me. The first was how much my life had changed in that decade. It was fun, and many of you have had this, to kind of look back through and go, oh, I remember that. Oh, yeah, I remember when that happened. I remember how excited I was. I remember how fun I was. I remember how scared I was. I remember how insecure that made me. I remember how I acted then. Like, you know what I mean? It was funny to go back and read it and see how much had changed. But the other thing that struck me was how much I had not changed in 10 years. Because one of the things I wrote about in one of the first entries was my impatience with my children. Kind of like when you get upset about a national championship game when your daughter's trying to talk to you about school in a game that makes no difference to your life. And I bet, I bet I'm not the only one in here who hasn't 100% reformed their life in the last decade. I bet I'm not the only one. But if you think back over the last five years, the last 10 years, there are lots of things you can point to that are different, and there are lots of things about you that have stayed exactly the same. No matter how many goals you've had, no matter how much you've been determined to achieve something different, no matter how different you're intending to be, no matter how many times you sat there and said, this time I mean it, I'm changing. How patient has God had to be with you? because he has had to show infinite patience to me. And the amazing thing about God is that no matter how far we run, no matter how many times we mess up, no matter how many times we make our word our bond and then fail to live into it the next week, no matter how many times we give into selfishness and temptation, no matter how many times we fall short in our life, God is the one entity in this world who never, ever, ever will walk away from you or from me in disgust. 
God is the one entity who is always saying, I am in this with you. I am going to be there with you. I am going to keep walking with you. We will keep moving forward. I'm not asking you to conjure up patience in your life. I'm asking you to give to others what you've received. Love is patient. And patience is not something we achieve. It is something that we receive. This week, may you grow in your ability to love as you celebrate how much God loves you. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we ask this day and this week you would lead us and guide us as we seek to do this critical work of growing in love and in patience. Help us to give what we have received so abundantly from you. Thank you for your faithfulness and patience and love of us. And may it rub off on us in the days and weeks and months to come that we might grow in our ability to love, which is what life is about. We pray for your leading and your guiding in this. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing one last song together.